Our first reading is Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46. Parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Philippians 3, verses 7 to 14. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Thank you, John. Thank you, Colin, for those readings. I was a wee bit, um, through the week I've been sort of changing my mind as to what I, what I, what I thought God was, was asking me to, or telling me to say this morning, and even this morning I sort of, Rachel said, how are you feeling? I said, ask me again at half past twelve. <laughs> but then when Colin was praying, he, he sort of said things that I thought, actually that, that fits with what I wanted to say, so I'm feeling a bit happier now, thank you. Um, one of the things I did to kind of help me get my head around what I was going to do and, and to kind of get some space to think in a house full of kids and Rachel, Rachel's the worst one actually um, I, went, I went out for a ride on my bike can I just advise you if you are thinking of a service where the theme is something like persevering or keeping on to the end, don't go out for a ride on your bike okay, because God has a habit of making things awkward. It was quite a nice ride. It was one of those rides where you go out one way and you come back the same way. And on the way out, I thought, I'm getting on all right here. You know, and I got home and I showed Rachel the, 
37 point something miles an hour had got up to going downhill with a following wind. That was quite good. Unfortunately, that following wind was then a headwind on the way back. And to be honest, I could have quite happily got off my bike at Holland's Green and phoned someone and said, come and pick me up. At that point, I thought, oh no, I am preaching on persevering, aren't I? And sticking it out to the end. I can't just give up. So, um, yeah, if you're ever planning a sermon on persevering, make sure that if you're doing something to, to sort of help you get your head around seeing things through to the end, make sure what you're doing is having a cup of coffee or something nice. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat this cream donut right to the end if I have to. God, yes, I will do that for you, rather than going out on your bike and cycling back into headwind. Um, and there's probably a whole other sermon there about various things, but that's not today's. I was sort of trying to think of ways to illustrate the, uh, the two readings. Um, and I remembered um, Jensen Button on Top Gear. Um, and it was July 2006. I looked it up once I'd found the clip. Um, we're going to watch the clip in a wee second. So this is, um, this is Jensen Button on Top Gear in July 2006. Now, unfortunately, when I downloaded the clip from YouTube, it was the entire episode. And I didn't think... Well, actually, I'm under orders to finish early because it's the British Grand Prix today. And I don't think people would appreciate missing Jensen Button for real because they'd have to watch 55 minutes of Top Gear just to see two minutes of Jensen Button in the middle. Um, and then when I edited it, for some reason, the video quality's gone a bit rubbish. But the important thing is what he says. So it doesn't matter that he looks a bit blocky at times. Um, and there is a bit of a gap at the beginning because I put a gap in at the beginning for some reason, I don't know why so here we go, let's watch Jensen Button on Top Gear um, and, and listen to what, he's, what he says but now this, it's a letter from a young man called Jensen who lives in Monte Carlo <laughs> dear Top Gear, my car is always breaking down Please, 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 could you fix it for me to drive something more reliable around your track? <laughs> How could we possibly say no, ladies and gentlemen? Please welcome Jensen Button! <laughs> How are you? I'm good. That was um, You live in Monte Carlo. I do. You paid a not inconsiderable sum of money. You're quite a good-looking chap, before the beard, obviously. Do you find it difficult to get women? <laughs> That's a tough one for me to answer at the moment. Um, really? Why? Do I find it difficult? Uh, yeah, I do, because I'm just busy all the time. Really? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm busy. You know. Another question I've got for you. Why haven't you won a race? It's you a, see, that's a hard one, isn't it? I, it's because I've never been asked the question before, you well, know. Why haven't you? Because you're getting the, what's the, you're all 100 starts now, aren't you? 100 something starts. 100 and something starts. So, what's the matter? Um, I, we're not quick enough. It's, it's like... windscreen. <laughs> Get the windscreen changed, we're trust not, me. We're just not quick enough for them, but we, we will get there, definitely. Would you exchange the money, the Monte Carlo lifestyle and everything for that first win? 100%. You would? 100%. Jack the lot in for one 100%. win? 100%. You really would exchange everything? 100%, for... yeah. It's, it's what, I'm, it's, it's what I've, I've been doing for 20 years almost now, yeah. is racing, trying to be the best. And uh, it's what I love, it's my passion. You know, when I've got grandkids, to tell them that I've got so many million in the bank, it's not going to excite them, but it's oh, like... trust me, it will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they yeah, say... Yeah. Tell us about your Formula One racing stories, Grandad, while we spend this! Yeah. <laughs> but it's better to say you're world champion, isn't it? You're the best in the world at something. You know, you, you gave it everything. That would be, yeah. No, no I, I, I appreciate where you're coming from on it. 
you're wrong, but I can... <laughs> no, I, I mean, I like, I'm glad you said that, because I a horrible feeling that I've been a moment... But I could see it in your eyes. You were telling the... Good. You were telling the truth. So there we go. It's quite nice, actually, to, to see that, because obviously, at the time, he had driven over 100 Grand Prix and not won. He actually won his first Grand Prix in August 2006, just after that, that had gone out. It was his 113th Grand Prix... It was in Hungary, if you're interested. But then he didn't win another Grand Prix until March 2009 in Australia. And that was the season he won the World Championship, which was his 10th season in Formula One. And he hasn't actually won a race since November 2012. But he's still driving round. And it's, it's interesting because there's two of them in the same team. There's him and Fernando Alonso. And their car's not brilliant. And quite often you'll hear Fernando Alonso saying, oh, should we just jack this in? Should we just stick the car in the garage? I've had enough. And Button will keep driving round. He was adamant in that clip that he would give up everything he had just to get that first win. Because that was what he was in Formula One for, to win races. He wanted to be world champion. There was, you know... It was a bit at the beginning where Jeremy Clarkson's talking about how much money he's got and you know and obviously he works works hard, but he would quite happily have given it all up just to win that first race. It's the Tour de France on at the moment, in case you didn't notice. I've I've had my kids in yellow each week. Um, and happily it's coincided with a British rider in the yellow jersey of the of the leader, Mark Cavendish the first the first week. Chris Froome this week. In fact, this week, starting at this stage, we've got the race leader, is British, Chris Froome. The young rider, the under-25 top-ranked rider, is British. The points jersey, the green jersey, is British, Mark Cavendish. The only one we haven't got is the polka dot jersey for the King of the Mountains. But I've got my polka dot socks on, so I'm hopeful... But the interesting thing, any of those jerseys, it doesn't matter how far ahead you are, at any point, Chris Froome could build up a lead of three days over everybody else, but if he doesn't finish the race in Paris in two weeks' time, he doesn't win. Mark Cavendish could have an unassailable lead in the points going into the last sprint on the Champs-Élysées But if he crashes out and doesn't finish the race, he doesn't win. By the time they go into that last stage, there's no more mountains points left to give. So it's obvious who the winner of the King of the Mountains is, unless they don't finish the race. It doesn't matter how successful they've been going through the race, they've still got to finish to actually win. But that's great, that's fine. Yeah, we've all seen, you know, millionaires driving around in cars in circles. Yippee, yeah. Not quite so rich, guys, right? But it's just blokes on bikes. What's exciting about blokes on bikes? Athletes going on about, oh, I've had to make so many sacrifices. Oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. You get well paid, though. And anyway, what does that mean for us? 
as a church. Our readings talked about the, the kingdom of heaven being like a really valuable treasure that a guy found in a field so then he hid it again and went off and sold everything to buy the field or, or being like a pearl that a guy found yeah it's the Scottish pronunciation of pearl <laughs> it's got an extra syllable um, that the guy sold everything to go and buy because it was so valuable as a church because we could have we could have an entire series to be honest, to be honest on what the kingdom of heaven means but as a church this morning I'd like us to think about when we pray and when we say the lord's prayer every week we pray thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and we have a vision in our church that is kind of the way we think god is telling us to make his kingdom come on this bit of earth. Can you believe it? It's, it's over a year since we had our vision day. I know. I was surprised. I was, I was looking for, um, for this thing. Um, this isn't the actual one. This is one that Brian sent around the other day. Um, and I couldn't find it and I found on the Dropbox thing I found the photos of the vision day and it was the 14th of June last year it's over a year near enough yeah we're in July now aren't we gosh gosh time flies but we came up with sort of five phases or stages if you like of, of, of church life and of, and of Christian life and in some ways you could apply these, these things to your own life as well as to our lives together as a church tilling, preparing the ground to receive the seed rather than just chucking it onto hard-baked soil. Actually planting the seed. Harvesting what's grown up. Nurturing the plant that produces the fruit and helping it to flourish. That's what we as a church agreed that we're here for. That's our kingdom of heaven if you like. In a, in a very limited sense and in that year a lot of stuff has changed people have moved on other people have arrived circumstances have changed and perhaps in some ways it feels like nothing's changed it doesn't feel like a year since we, since we had tape all over the floor and we said which, which of these groups do these things In some ways, I've left my Bible over there. In some ways, it feels a wee bit like if nothing's changed, then what's the point? If we haven't done anything in the last year towards our vision, then what's the point? But I think we have. I think we've done a lot. In some ways, it would be easy to kind of say, oh, well, you know, we've got no minister now. We've got people who've left. Numbers are perhaps a bit lower than they used to be. Can we really do all that stuff that we thought we would, could do a year ago? Are we up to it? Are we capable? Have we got enough people? Do you know what? I would say the opposite. I would say 
if we really feel that God is telling us to do something to help us fulfill our vision, then it doesn't matter that we're a bit lower on numbers or that we don't have a minister right now or anything like that. What did Paul say? He said in Philippians 3, verse, starting at verse 12, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. Well, I don't think any of us would say, oh yeah, we've definitely fulfilled our vision. We've had it for a year. We've fulfilled it. Time to move on. Let's get a new one. But I keep working towards that day when I will finally be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. Trust me, folks, no matter how exciting we think our vision might be, God's vision is a thousand million billion times more exciting than that. What we've got and what we've distilled down as, as, as our vision is our little glimpse of God's vision. No, dear brothers and sisters, I am not all I should be. But I am focusing all my energies on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven. Jensen Button could easily have said, I've driven a hundred races, I've never won, I'm jacking it all in. Forget it. He could have sat there in that interview and said, do you know what, Jeremy, you're right. It's not worth it. I've got a lot of money. I could, just, I could just retire now. The grandkids would enjoy spending it. And there you go. And actually within a month, he won his first Grand Prix. A long time ago, I used to play golf. Badly. And I remember... Um, I used to play occasionally with Chris Burrows. And Chris said, whenever you play golf, no matter how badly you've played, there's always one shot somewhere on the round that you think, ooh, ooh, that was a good shot. And that's the shot that makes you come back the next time to play again. That makes you think, actually, maybe I could get the hang of this game. Maybe I could be the next Sandy Lyle. Sam Torrance with a big part of thing I distracted myself there with that one um, it would be easy to get disheartened and give up and to focus on what's happened in the past or what's not happened in the past or what's changed from a year ago it would be easy to kind of look and say oh, well you know how long is it now and we've not even got an interim moderator what are the chances of us getting a new minister anytime soon? Should we just put our vision on hold, stick it on the shelf, let it gather dust a bit, and then we'll dust it off again when we get a new minister and we'll start again? Maybe we could. But we've just prayed this morning about how much turmoil our country is in, how much turmoil our world is in. And I wrote it down when Colin prayed it. He, said he prayed for people to turn to God. If people are going to turn to God in our community then we need to be ready to receive them if people are going to turn to God in our community it won't be holy through what we do because it's God that brings them to him 
but it'll still be our witness and our example. Trust me, we can do a far better job of putting people off turning to God than we can ever do it encouraging them. But we need to be ready. There's been a lot of controversy about sort of posters of, of queues of people waiting to come into the country. Wouldn't it be great for there to be a queue of people waiting to come into our church? To try and think how on earth we extend this building again. Let's have a gallery up there or something, you know. It's probably taken me a long time to say the same thing. And, it, and I know one of the worries I had was it's quite similar to the sermon I did about a month ago um, about not giving up and all the rest of it. But I just wanted this morning to encourage us as a church and us as individuals that no matter how tough it might seem no matter the the obstacles that come in the way it's worth pressing on to complete the race last week example if you like the, the green jersey in the Tour de France is for is usually won by a sprinter someone who can go very fast on a flat bit in a straight line the problem they have, like I said, is they've got to finish the race. And the organisers of the Tour de France have the nasty habit of sticking mountains in the way. And it's not unheard of for a sprinter to finish so far behind the winner that they actually get excluded from the rest of the race because they've gone too slow. They have this thing called the, the voiture balai, the broom wagon. And occasionally you'll see a photo of some really shattered-looking cyclist cycling up a mountain with his massive big Volkswagen minibus right behind them with Voiture Malai written on the... And you think... And, and then they stick a brush on the back of it as well. So it's, you know, it's like, basically, if he comes past you, you're done and you're in the... And you're finished. There was a, a guy, um, Mario Cipollini, his name was, and he was a fantastic sprinter. On the flat stages, you could pretty much guarantee he would win. But he never won the green jersey in the Tour de France because the joke was as soon as the road took the slightest incline upwards, he would get off and abandon the race. And he never finished the Tour de France, so he never won the green jersey. The year Mark Cavendish won it, before they even got to Paris, he had a lead that meant no one could catch him. But it was one of their anti-clockwise years, so they had to go through the Alps before they could get to Paris. And unless he finished all the mountain stages to then get to that last stage in Paris, he wouldn't win. Sometimes it feels like God has willfully or accidentally or whatever allowed or caused mountains to have appeared in our, in our path to get in the way of us achieving our goal. And sometimes when you're on the 23rd hairpin bend, and you're just going back and forward and your legs are burning up and it feels like you're never going to see the top of this mountain let alone the bottom on the other side it's the easiest point to think I've had enough let me get off is there a cable car is there a, is there a voiture balai that I can jump into that will just take me to the end and it would you'd get to the top of the mountain possibly or they might just take you back to the bottom to the hotel and you could get your legs massaged and chill out and eat as much as you like and not have to worry about power to weight ratios or anything like that but you wouldn't have finished and you wouldn't win 
And I know that sounds really kind of sinister, and I'm sort of saying, oh, you know, don't quit or you'll, you'll not win. I mean it to be encouraging. Keep going. There was an old song we used to sing at Sunday school when I was a kid, when the road is rough and steep, what do you do? Fix your eyes upon Jesus. So this morning, whether, you're, whether your mountains are personal ones, or whether you're looking at us as a church and thinking we've got so many mountains ahead of us, or whether you're actually freewheeling on the downside, having got over the mountain, trust me, there are other mountains coming. Sorry. But be encouraged. Keep going. We're a team. None of us is on our own. None of us is ever on our own because we've got God with us. But none of us is on our own because we're a team. And our job is to make sure that we all get to the finish and that we all get to the finish. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are with us. Not just in the easy bits, in the fun bits, in the good bits, but in the hard bits too. When it feels like nothing's going right, when it would be so easy to just give up, you're right beside us, cheering us on, encouraging us, giving us a little help in hand. Help us, Lord, as a church, as a family, to be there for each other, to support each other. And help us, Lord, as a church, not to lose heart, not to get discouraged when we face our mountains together. In Jesus' name, amen.